0: Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have Natalie Allport. Now, Natalie and I got connected. We were looking for some ambassadors, some people who really embody this effort over everything mindset, this idea of using fitness to enhance their lives and the lives of others. And I think Natalie does a really good job of that. So today we dive into a few different topics. Her competitive career in snowboarding, which was really interesting to me. Her competitive career in CrossFit, overcoming challenges and adversity, and also building her own brand online and tools that she shares with others to build their brand. Before we dive into the episode, I wanna remind you if you're out there in your garage, in the gym, getting after it, and you want a variety of world class workouts with great coaching, make sure to check out the NC Fit app. If you're a gym owner, make sure to check out the NC Fit Collective. My goal with this podcast is to actually enhance it more. I wanna do more episodes, longer format have more Q&A sessions, more episodes with MDV and Gabe to share insight and to go longer format where we could actually add as much value as possible. So if you are getting value from these episodes, leave us a rating, leave us a review and expect more and better to come in the future. Let's keep training hard. Let's keep getting after it. Let's keep putting the effort over everything and let's go. Natalie, we're we're, uh, we're talking, I'm looking at your screen and there's two things I'm drawing attention to. One is the graphic behind you. It says like you're too busy working on your own grass to worry about other people's grass, which we need, we'll we talk about that. But the other is you have a badass snowboard behind you and you have a snowboarding background. And one of the things that you refer to this as is it's called a split board. Is that what it's called? Yeah, exactly. So what is a split board? Because this is brand new to me. I'm not like a, you know, big snowboarder, but I used to be back in the day when I was in college. So what is this new technology? Because it's almost like a skis and snowboards together. Can you just tell me a little bit more about it? Cause I think it's cool.
1: Yeah. Well, one, we definitely got to go snowboarding, but two, um, it basically mixes like cross-country skiing and kind of like mountaineering with snowboarding. So before, if you were a snowboarder and you wanted to go in the backcountry, so you wanted to like go west, go to the big mountains, um, that don't have, I guess, a ski lift. You either have to do heli skiing, you have to do cat skiing, um, or you have to have a snowmobile, which is obviously like really hard to get access or really expensive. Um, and then there was kind of this whole movement of ski touring. So people with skis, basically like, like powder backcountry skis, would put uh, skins. So like basically... It's kind of like um, a hairy, like, thing that you attach to the bottom so that it basically grips one way, kind of like a cross-country ski, and then glides the other way. Um, oh. And so you attach that to the bottom of your skis, and then you can climb up a mountain uh, on the snow. Obviously, if the snow is super deep, you would never be able to walk up there. And then you don't have to have a snowmobile, a chairlift, a um, chairlift like a a helicopter or whatever else. And then snowboarders obviously felt left out of the whole thing because how can we, with a snowboard, do the same thing? So I guess, I don't know if it was, I'm sure split boards have been around for a long time, but they were huge last year. It was like even hard to get one, hard to get any of the things because they were all selling out. But um, yeah, the bindings basically move. It separates into a ski and then same thing. You put the skins on, you can go up a hill and then you can snowboard it down. So
0: the board basically essentially a regular snowboard is normally one piece Here, your bindings that are just in place. This one, the bindings move and the board splits apart. And like, yeah. that's, that's interesting. I mean, does it feel like it, I mean, when you, I don't think you've written this one, but when you write them, does it ever feel like uh, not as secure? It would make me worried that like they're going to break apart.
1: They're they're super strong. Like I would even say this board. uh, Well, actually, it's pretty lightweight just to be able to go like up the mountain. But um, yeah, just the way that they secure them is like super stable, and especially because the binding is going across. Um, it already connects it where your feet are, and just the way that torque goes, it, you're never really worried. But it's definitely not something you would take like on a really groomed run and want to get really big carves or like hit really big groom jumps. But in the backcountry with soft snow, like you're probably never going to have a huge high impact onto like an icy or like hard surface.
0: Got it. And so, you know, pivoting the conversation. So I'm looking at a snowboard. Um, I obviously don't know as much about snowboarding as you do, so I'm really intrigued to talk a little bit about that because. You grew up in Canada, is that right? Yep. And so, I imagine snow sports are a little bit more common there than maybe in California, just because of the weather. Um, but did you grow up snowboarding?
1: No. So I actually I lived in BC, so like the west coast, which is more so you would associate with a snowboarder. Up until I was like five, so I got onto skis. My family was into skiing. I think I like two years old, so I was super young on skis. And then we moved. We actually moved to New Jersey for two years. And then we came up to like the Ottawa area. So kind of uh, north of Toronto for people who don't know uh, where that is, but most people know Toronto and um, there's not big mountains here, but we still kind of went skiing, but mostly we just played hockey. Hockey is like the main sport up here. Um, but then I thought, you know, I started skateboarding and I thought snowboarding was super cool. So eventually I traded in the skis for a snowboard.
0: And so then you competed, how, how long did you compete in snowboarding for? Cause you were on so, and, and how does it work to be on like the national ski team for Canada? How, how, what does that process even look like? And then how long did you compete for?
1: Yeah. So to be honest, when I started snowboarding, I had no idea what the process was like, no idea. <laughs> yeah. Because... That's why I'm curious, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> It's getting more organized, but like back then it wasn't because of the fact that like slope style snowboarding, which is all the jumps on the rails, which is what I competed in. It didn't get into the Olympics until the 2014 Olympics. And that wasn't announced until 2011. And so I started snowboarding, like 2011 was the year I graduated high school. And I started snowboarding, like, I guess probably four years prior to that. I'd given up like my Olympic hockey dreams to pursue snowboarding. And I said, OK, I just want to be pro. And at that time, like to be pro in snowboarding, it's like you go film movie parts. You probably do more of the backcountry stuff. Um, but where I was, it was just there's not big mountains. So they're just train parks. So I got into like jumping and um, the rails and then doing little competitions. And then uh, I actually graduated high school semester early so that I could compete. So I took extra courses like in the summers um, and then I had that extra semester to compete. And then I actually ended up doing well. I won one of my big. Like first major competitions got to head out actually to California I got to go to Sierra Tahoe for a big competition It was like a big first trip for me at like 17. And then I came back in the summer, went over to Whistler on the West Coast and um, at that, that time that was when they actually announced that snowboarding was going to get into the Olympics. I got home. I was at my family cottage and I got a text from a friend who said, Hey, check the Canada snowboard website. You've got named to the junior national team. And I was like, what? I like, they didn't even message me. So like, I literally, a friend passing it on to me. And so basically they just had to get things formed up really quickly because the, the Olympics were announced. And so all of a sudden they had to create a national team for our sport.
0: So then did you start training towards that goal? Was that the goal?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I had since I was three years old, I told my parents I wanted to go to the Olympics. That was like my ultimate dream as a a kid. And I kind of had given it up when I gave up hockey. And my parents always like regretted that decision because at that time I was good at hockey and not good at snowboarding. Um, but yeah, I just kind of went all in on, on snowboarding and then had that goal for sure of, of trying to make it to the Olympics and trying to keep competing. I always was drawn to competition, whatever sport I was. So I knew I was always going to kind of be on that side of snowboarding. Cause like I mentioned, there's film sides and, um, different sides of the sport where you can be a professional in, but the competing side is really what called my name.
0: So what ended up, how did the, what ended up happening with the Olympic dreams? You got injured.
1: Oh, tons of injuries. So actually the competition that I won that like ended up being the one that they went back and that's how I got onto the junior national team um, when I was 17, I had a broken tailbone. And so I was lucky that I kind of pushed through two weeks after and competed and, and won because it wasn't for that like, I think my whole story would have been totally different, but that one result like really kickstarted. And that was one of my bigger first injuries. I had like, you know, broken wrists and stuff as a kid. Um, but it was a tailbone. And then I had other ones like always weird injuries, but they couldn't really diagnose them right away. Or they weren't like surgically fixed, not cut and dry. And so I had a season where the whole year my heel was like bruised, but it turned out I actually exploded the entire fat pad of my heel, which took till the off season to figure out. I broke my ribs, uh, concussions. Um, there's tons. Of, I know you did BMX, so there's like yeah. tons of injuries and in action sports, but ultimately that really wore me down like never dealing with them, always bouncing back, especially not dealing with them mentally. Um, and then in my last year, I started experiencing some things with mental health. I was having like some anxiety attacks, being homesick, which I never thought. I always was like, I just want to leave and and snowboard. But all of a sudden I felt like I just wish I was home and doing these things. And I saw some close people near me have really severe injuries, like in the hospital with, you know, getting blood sucked out of their lungs and things like that. And just seeing the effects that that could take just through the sport that I do. It really had me questioning if I wanted to make another four year run, um, because, due to injury and different things, I ended up not qualifying for, qualifying for 2014. And so it was actually in 2015 that I ended up walking away and not continuing on towards
0: 2018. Uh, yeah, in action sports, the injuries are pretty extreme. Um, you know, I grew up racing BMX from when I was probably about nine through 15, 16 when you're when you're ready to turn pro. And the injuries are 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 aggressive because of the speed and the the type of movement you're performing. Um, Especially for you, I mean, when you're 20, 30 feet up in the air and you come crashing, I mean, that snow is not like padded snow. I mean, it it hurts. Uh, oh, yeah. Or if you're on a rail and you and you land on your back, I mean, I imagine that. So you talk about mental health, and I'm curious about that because obviously you went through quite a few injuries. Um, and bouncing back from them, I think, I think you're, you're hitting on something that's pretty interesting, right? Which is, there's definitely a the physical side, right? Like you break your wrist, you got to get that better. Okay, I get it. But there's also like this mental side where you get like this fatigue, where you start questioning what you're doing, where you wonder if it's the right move for you, if you're being, I, I don't know, for me, it's like, was I being selfish competing professionally and giving up that time with my family? Yeah. So what types of things, and, and it had you overcome certain mental side of that, did you start seeing somebody? What did you start doing?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, even I'm still unpacking it and it's been like six years later, like actually what's been a, an a interesting blessing for me is the past couple of years I've been dealing with a torn rotator cuff in my shoulder, which was misdiagnosed at first. And finally I know, and I'm, I'm on the road to recovery, but not having even competing in any sport. Cause I ended up competing in CrossFit afterwards has really had me unpacking some of those things from those previous injuries that I had never gone through. And so at that time being young, it was like, you get an injury and it was two weeks off and then you got to push back or I had a whole season where I ended up flying around the world, going to all these competitions and never actually being able to make it to the competition day because I had this undiagnosed foot injury that we didn't know what it was. And it would kept like blowing up and being so painful that I wasn't able to ride when it came to the actual day. And so- All these constant pushing through, it really, really does, like you said, wear on you. I think it's also, especially in action sports, it's like micro PTSD in a sense, because to actually overcome this injury and then try to erase the memory of what happened so that Mm -hmm. you can go and push yourself further. Like when I would approach a jump, I would start thinking of all the injuries that happened before. I think, oh, I broke my ribs last time I tried this trick. And so like to overcome that stuff was really hard. And we were lucky that we did have a sports psychologist and I probably used her more than anyone else on the team. Every time before any event, I would talk to her. The only issue is, and I know this is improving in the sport is because it's a new sport and action sports with sports psychology, weren't kind of meshing at that time. Like our sports psychologists came from other sports. And so they would address like performance anxiety. Are you nervous? You know, not to do your best. And I say, I'm nervous. I might die if I hit this yeah. wrong and they couldn't really understand that. And so that's been stuff that I worked on after I left the sport, but I really wish I had more guidance on when I was in it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, if you think back to like Simone Biles at this last Olympics, uh, you know, people from armchairs were talking poorly about her backing out of certain events. And no one really knows what she's going through, right? But she's the most decorated gymnast basically ever. She's the greatest of all time. And but if her confidence is off when she's 10 feet or 20 feet or whatever feet in the air flipping, um, you know, the the, the byproduct could be catastrophic versus, you know, some other type of sports. I think you're alluding to that. And so you know, when I think about like a mindset coach from a CrossFit perspective, it's more about, like you said, performance anxiety, making sure you're getting the most out of it. But that's a whole nother layer that I don't know if people can really relate to. And so how did you, so you're at like the top of the hill, right? And there's like that basic gate, but you're going by yourself. You're not in a group environment. You're going by yourself. Boom, you're hitting your run. And you get, what do you get? Three three runs and your top score Usually counts? Usually
1: three runs. Like there's, sometimes they vary. I mean, it changes, but yeah, typically three runs.
0: And so what type of things, and, and this is a, I mean, life and death, I think is, I mean, it, it could be described that way, right? You're going up for a really big jump. You want to go perform a specific one that, because there's like this varying degree, right? At one point, if you don't go hard enough, you know, you're not going to win the event, right? If you just go out there and jump, you're not going to win the event. But if you go too hard, you could really hurt yourself. So I'm curious, like what types of things you were able to do? And eventually, I mean, obviously it just, it became a lot and that's why you kind of pivoted out, but what type of things can you remind yourself when you're going up to a jump and doing like a double backflip? I'm just curious, like, or you're just like, Hey, this is a sport I've chosen to be in. And this is part of the gig. I mean, I, I don't know. What is that? What is that like?
1: Yeah. So in some ways it's, you do kind of build up to these things, right? So for example, like with a back squat, if you had never been in the gym or you, you lift like 100 Mm. pounds and then someone puts 400 pounds, they say, you got to go lift this right now. It's going to be scary and you're not going to be able to do it. And it's too far. So, um, that was a, that's a big one with learning tricks is it's always incremental. So you've known, you've done it before. Nowadays, people use airbags. Uh, I would trampoline train all summer. Mm. So I've done like bigger tricks on the trampoline than I ever even did on snow. So at least I had like a little bit of a feeling and air awareness of it. Um, but it's definitely hard, especially when any any different hill you go to, any course, it's all going to be different. So you might have the trick in mind, but now you have to adapt it to the course. And what if the jump is built weird? Or what if there's wind or different weather? So you're always, always trying to adapt that. But for me personally, it's like you you do have to accept the risks. You have to make sure that you make those that slow progress. Don't jump too quickly. Um, otherwise, like mentally, it's just too big a jump. And physically, you could obviously get injured. But also, like once you get to competition day, that's when usually you're not doing your biggest, biggest tricks. You're kind of scaling back to maybe play it a little bit safe. You're playing the game of like if I land this and someone else falls, like you do a safety run usually first. And then you try to like kind of throw down your bigger run if you've landed that one already. But for me, I really like the competition days because that's when my mind would actually blank. Like if you can get over that first fear, maybe in the morning of the day and you drop in and you hit that first jump and it goes well, then you're in complete flow state and you, you totally forget about any of the risks. You're just thinking about, okay, this is what I do next. And I'm just doing this. And that's the state that you want to be in. So it's usually, especially on a long training day, it's getting over that in the morning. And that starts with you know, first run of the day, don't even hit the jumps, just look at them, check them out, see what the weather's like. Second run, right up to the jumps, stop on the top, go back down, just, you know, see how everything feels and then slowly build up. So everything is a slow build. You never like first run of the day, go crazy, which I know yeah. some people who just go to the train park do that, but probably shouldn't.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, that's kind of similar from a workout perspective. You know, I was, I was uh, sharing with some people the other day, like, um, this idea that before you evaluate how you feel, just walk into the gym and just get on a piece of cardio equipment or go for a walk. And you start off slow. And then all of a sudden your mindset starts becoming more uh, like, let's just say you wake up you feel really beat up. And then all of a sudden you go into the gym, you're like, man, I feel beat up. But once you start warming up and you start getting that mindset nine times out of 10, you probably feel a lot better. And then you're ready for your workout. And if you don't feel better, maybe that day you should take the day off and not train. But I think that idea of like this slow progression and then kind of checking in how you're doing is a great idea. I wanna ask you about hockey. So I don't know much about hockey, right? We don't really play too much that in California, but yeah. in Canada, is there a women's league and a men's league or did you play with the men's?
1: Yeah, there's actually like where I live too is there's a massive women's league. Like we had teams really? at every level, like competitive A, B, C, and then house league and everything. Um, but sometimes girls would choose to play with the guys if they wanted to, like on my brother's team, he had a couple of girls throughout the whole process. Um, it just kind of depended where your parents put you, but yeah, we hockey for, for women was actually huge here, which we were very lucky. I think maybe even a couple decades ago, it wasn't the case at all. It would just be like a men's league and there'd be a couple of women, but, um, yeah, there's, there's some pretty uh, popular women's leagues and that takes you all the way up to, um, you know, like a, a college level basically.
0: So like your background, you come in through hockey, then you go in through um, competitive snowboarding, and both of those, I would call they're completely different, right? One's a team sport, one's an individual sport. Um, even if you're on a team representing Canada or whatever, it doesn't really, you're still an individual. Um, they're both like relatively aggressive sports though. I mean, hockey's pretty, you know, physical and yeah. snowboarding is physical just in a kind of completely different way. Um, from a team perspective to an individual perspective, and then you transition in a CrossFit competing there as an individual. Um, like, I'm curious, which, which, which way do you like better? Do you like competing on, on a team like snowboarding? I mean, on a, or, or like hockey or do you like the individual side of, 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 of snowboarding because the onus is all on you.
1: Yeah. So, well, in 2019, I competed at two different sanctionals. One as a team, which was my first ever team event. And then one as an individual. And yeah, there you go. That's um, a
0: good example. Right.
1: Yeah. And, uh, what was interesting was actually like my teammates from that, the team event ended up coming forth at this year's CrossFit game and they, their, their contrast to who I am is so vast because they are dedicated teammates. Like they are, um, they're a couple, they actually ended up merging with another couple to create this, this, you know, team of four and they have only ever competed team versus I only have ever competed individual, um, apart from yeah, playing hockey as a kid. And personally, I find like the pressure on team higher because really? I don't want to let other people down. Right. Because I'd rather like have the control like in, in my hands, because for example, handstand walks were a big weakness of mine. And in the competition, I ended up kind of costing my team from moving out of the, the top heat because of my handstand walks. And that devastated me versus I had an individual event where there was handstand walks and I came dead last in that workout, but I was actually so happy because I did my best performance in the handstand walks in that workout. And that was the difference because I feel like I'm, you know, on a team, you get that pressure and you're like, I don't want to let them down. So even if you do your best, if it's not good enough for the team, it just never feels good enough. Versus if you're just focusing on your effort as an individual, then you're a little bit more happy with your results And in, in my mind.
0: Yeah. And so you transitioned from snowboarding to CrossFit and obviously you did that and you've built some, I, I imagine um, a lot of strength and a lot of good conditioning. So how many times have you competed in CrossFit?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I did like, some local competitions kind of thing. And then basically 2019 was kind of my breakout year. I did two sanctionals that year, I did strength and depth and Asia CrossFit championships. And then after the Asia CrossFit championships, I went to Bali and I crashed my motorbike and that's what hurt my shoulder, unfortunately. And so I've been on a break since then. So for me, like, I feel like I was always like not even close to my potential when I was competing. And so that's why I'm really excited to, you know, get this shoulder healed up and hopefully get back to it because, um, like you said, I made that transition, but I also had like a few different issues throughout the whole process. So when I transitioned, I was going through one of the lowest parts, uh, with mental health. And so that first year was just really rocky. You know, there was like a lot of inconsistency with my gym days. Then my second kind of season doing the open, I ended up getting mono and I got like pericarditis, which is like a heart infection, um, super, super random, but I wasn't yeah. getting my heart rate up for months. So I had a bet pull out of the open. Um, that time that year, we were actually trying to qualify a team from my gym. Sadly, I couldn't participate, um, and then I basically had to take six months off. I had mono for six months completely. So then the next year was like trying to get back into it. 2018 was my best open performance, and then 2019 I finally started doing some bigger competitions. And then cat uh, ran in front of my front tire of my motorbike, and down I went onto my shoulder.
0: Oh man, talk about ups and downs. And so now you know when you think about it, right? As like an entrepreneur, so you have um, from a, from a business perspective, you help people as a consultant develop like online brands. Is that what your is that, would you, would you, would you say that's what your, what your business is?
1: Yeah, we're doing a lot of education, especially, like, in the athlete space of, like, teaching athletes and consulting them how they can build their brand so that they can, you know, achieve their goals both within and out of sport. And so kind of based off my own stuff, right, like, as a, as a young snowboard athlete, I was, like, 15 and having to try to get sponsors and um, figure out that whole world. So trying to give it back to, to the athletes and, and working with athletes and brands and recruiting companies, and especially with college athletes now being able to make money, um, doing a lot of work in that space.
0: Yeah. I mean, cause I obviously, you know, from, you know, I know that you have an active Instagram and TikTok and you create your own cause you create your own content on there. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, especially with the pandemic, there's not much yeah. of another choice, right? Like we had a year where we couldn't really meet up with anybody.
0: Yeah. And so you've been able to kind of shift. Um, what's really interesting about me to me is that like, you, you really are em- embodying this idea of fitness, right? Like you, you work out with your grandma, what once a week, is that what it is?
1: We do a zoom class every, every weekday. Um, and then whenever I can, I go, like she was about 40 minutes away. So whenever I'm there, then we'll do it when I'm there. Um, but yeah, we do it actually every weekday.
0: So you, you zoom with your grandma every weekday.
1: Yep. Usually, usually like around 5 PM and uh, I'll do my shoulder rehab at the same time.
0: Wow. Really? That's cool. And so then, and so then when you're thinking about this idea from a business perspective, do you have anybody else that works with you or are you doing it all solo?
1: Yeah. So in the early days of the business, I did like, so when I basically stopped snowboarding, I was already one year into starting that business. Um, And so I dove straight in. I actually got like a kind of like an office downtown. I basically had like an apartment that was half apartment, half office. Um, and I had two employees who would come and then I started falling in love with CrossFit and I realized I couldn't manage full-time training with full-time, like managing employees and everything. Um, so basically I scaled back to the point where it was like, Hey, this business supports me and and my lifestyle and I can compete and spend more time there. And then I've been basically trying to figure out and balance that ever since. Well,
0: you know, what's interesting is that you have people who want to compete in CrossFit and it requires like a full-time, we have a gentleman here in the Bay area and he wants to get into competing in CrossFit. And I was training with him and I was being a little hard on him because if someone wants to compete and they, they clearly said to me, I'm going to push them a little bit harder than I would the average person because you've told me your goals. I'll, I want to help you get there. But CrossFit requires quite a bit of time commitment because you're not just working the lifts. You're not just working snowboarding. For example, although that took up a lot of time, that wasn't the same as CrossFit. It'd be like trying to learn how to ski, snowboard, snowmobile like there's such a variety of different exercises so when you were debating between competing in CrossFit here you are a couple of years later you've had a lot of ups and downs what happens mentally where you start saying hey I want to compete that's like my personal goal but I also need to provide for myself and look at the time commitment over here I imagine there's a lot of people having that conversation right now in their heads about like is it worth this or should I be over here what does that what does that look like to you you know
1: Oh yeah. And that conversation has evolved a lot. And I think we saw that conversation evolve a lot. Like, remember when they took out regionals? We saw so many people drop off because it was like that goal that they had, which is like, I want to call myself a regional athlete, got kind of taken away for them. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I have to get a you know, real job or do something to actually, you know, like provide for my family and things like that. So I, I I would say I've been lucky with just how I've been able to, to manage both in a sense, especially like I, at one point when, especially in 2019, I had some issues with, you know, I experienced a big bout of burnout between those two, um, competitions where I actually had to take a month off training. So I didn't go into Asia the championships really at my best physically at all, because I experienced just like this big breakdown because I was managing so much on the business side and with training that like, I had my laptop with me at the gym. And I would spend like eight hours a day at the gym. And in between, I was like writing emails and doing work and doing all of this stuff. And that was just not conducive for recovery. I felt like with snowboarding, I could snowboard, I could go to the gym, and then I could work. And there was like a little bit more separation. But then when it came with CrossFit, like, because it is so demanding, like not even physically, but also like the neural skills, like you need to remember the gymnastic skills that you're learning and try to, you know, be have neuroplasticity to even remember that, then it just you're, you're, you're drained, you're completely drained when you try to do any sort of like cognitive work. And I think people like don't really realize that like, it's so hard to do like mental work, at the same time, balancing this heavy physical work. Um, so yeah, that conversation has definitely evolved. I think what happened to me actually, when I hurt my shoulder was that other side took over. I was like, okay, you know what? I've been competing since I was a teenager in a sport full-time competing has been my full-time job. Let me just, you know, take this year off, recover my shoulder and just focus on the business side and mentally take that break. And what I noticed was unfortunately, because we had a misdiagnosis on my shoulder, it wasn't recovering. And then I just was feeling more anxious because I realized, what I really want to do is I want to spend more time, like working on my fitness, creating more personal content, doing that kind of stuff. And so then the pandemic happened and that kind of allowed me the the time and the space to shift because instead of like, okay, this is a growth phase for my business. I said, okay, let's, let's put maintenance phase on the business because right now there's a global pandemic going on. And with all this extra time of not, you know, driving places, doing different things, I'm going to just, get back into training and start filming stuff. And that started getting some traction and I really started enjoying it and getting just so much more fulfilled by it. And so now I'm in a point where as things I've opened up again, I'm managing the busyness of the business with doing more of like the training and the uh, the personal content stuff. So I, I do think like, obviously, you're not gonna make as much, you know, being a CrossFit athlete unless you're the top, top 1% as if you are running a business or doing something different. But for me, I just don't want to have any regrets when I'm older. And so I'd rather just see like, what's the potential that I could go in a sport? And even if it isn't competing, just like, what's that potential that I can push for myself with personal challenges, like my running challenge, or I did a Nordic, a hundred kilometer Nordic ski last winter. I want to like spend time doing stuff physically, because I know once I get much older, I can do a lot more stuff with work when I'm 60 than I can physically. Right. And so for me, it's more about like, how do I want to live my day-to-day rather than like the result of, of competing.
0: So are you looking right now actively, so you have your business and you, you produce a lot of content online. I think that it becomes relatable because you're telling a story that's not so like hardcore 1% CrossFit, but it's a little bit more well-rounded. And so are you trying to go compete in a CrossFit competition? Is that your goal right now is, is to qualify? Are you going to do the open and your goal is to qualify for a sanctional or whatnot?
1: So I've, I've been navigating the shoulder and unfortunately things don't move fast. Like for example, we saw at the games, Brooke Wells, boom surgery, like a week later in Canada, our healthcare is free, but it's not fast. And when I was on the, uh, Canadian snowboard team, things were very fast, but when you're not in a national athlete like program anymore, things aren't fast. And so it took me, you know, even a few months, even just waiting for an MRI Um, And then to get results and do all these things. But I actually just found out last week that my labrum isn't torn. And so I don't need surgery. So I was almost mentally prepared that I was going to have to take a whole other year before I could even compete because I thought I was going to have to get surgery. Um, But luckily, I just found out I don't. And next week, I have an appointment with my sport med to figure out the plan of action. But yeah, working really hard to try to come back. Will I be ready for the open? I'm not quite sure. We actually have a, like a local team here and they went to the games last year and it would be really cool to maybe somehow uh, be a part of that team. Um, But yeah, again, I have no idea what's going to happen with the shoulder recovery. I'm not pushing it because I know, you know, if, if I don't get back to competition next year, it'll happen then the year after, but I don't want to like return to competition and then boom, my rotator cuff is gone and then another two years off.
0: So when you're working with brands, like let's just say you're an athlete and you have a moderate social media media following, how, what is your recommendation for working with brands to try and get, I mean, you obviously want to provide value to the brand because the more value you can provide the brand, the more the brand could then provide back to you, right? It's just, it's a two-way street. Mm -hmm. And so what approach are you taking when you're working with different people, whether it's collegiate athletes or quote influencers for lack of a better term? uh, What kind of I guess advice would you have for someone who's looking to generate some additional revenue off a social platform? Because I mean, essentially that's, that's, that's a big part of your business, if not the business, right? So yeah. what does that look like? I mean, what, what kind of tips and tricks would you have for someone who, who, who's looking to do that? Because right now, if you're just trying to compete in CrossFit, there's quite a bit of time commitment there, but if you could then convert that into content that then you could use sponsorship dollars for maybe that's the way you could survive.
1: Yes, that's exactly it. It's so that that conversation, like you already hinted at it, which is, you know, what are you already doing that you can document? Because a lot of other people, if they want to make money through social media or online online, they have to spend a lot of time like, okay, I need to create the perfect photo shoot or this video, it's gonna take me hours to edit, versus as a CrossFit athlete or any athlete in any sport it's like, what are you already doing that you can just document? Because your time is limited. So whether that's training, whether it's your specific take on training, maybe it's your mindset behind training, like the specific thoughts that you go through just to differentiate yourself from other people. Maybe you're somebody who's like vegan and a CrossFitter, and you want to like, show people the recipes and the things that you can do, like finding that unique style that you have of things that you already do. And just a unique way of displaying that that's That's a big one. It's also mindset, like understanding that like your sport, there's going to be time that you just have to invest in it before you can ever monetize and you don't want to monetize too early because that like caps off your growth. You want to make sure that you're investing in it the same way with your sport, like you don't want to go and enter a sanctional event your first month of CrossFit, for example. So um, yeah, understanding, uh, making sure that underst- uh, people understand that is key because I get a lot of high school athletes, a lot of college athletes who are like, how can I make money now? And they have maybe 500 followers and they haven't posted since August of last year. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's have the tough conversation of, you know, you need to invest in your brand, like everything else. And that starts with a lot of self-awareness because your brand is essentially, it's just you. And so you need to figure out who you are, what your story is, what message you want to put out there. And then it comes down to sharing that consistently, and so whether that be daily, whether that be three times a week, whatever it is, how can you do that? Because it's it's building a connection, it's building a community, it's building an audience. It's not like okay, how do I get a brand and then promote them? If you don't have that community, that connection, the audience, then that does nothing for the brand and it does nothing for you. And so you want to make sure that you first have that community and that audience built, and continuing to be being built while you then start a conversation with a brand who can come in there because. Yeah. If you don't have that, then there's no value to the brand and there's no value to you as well.
0: That was well said. That was well said. I I think that's great. I think that's super cool feedback for, for any, you know, up and coming athlete or person who wants to try and generate revenue. It's not as easy as people think online. And I think what you hit the nail on the head is this idea of like, you want people to feel connected to you because if they don't feel connected to you and your brand message and what you're about and, and what you stand for, no matter what product you try and share, first off, people can sniff through the bullshit. If they think that you're just trying to push something because you're getting paid, they'll see through that. But even if they knew that you actually like it, they have to be bought into who you are and what you're about. And then if you like it, then they like it. And so what does your training look like on a regular basis now? Because I know you do our workouts from the NC Fit app, maybe a couple days a week, whatever it is. Do you also then like, where do you, where, how do you sprinkle uh, your, your training? What does that look like on an average day, especially with your shoulder injury?
1: Yeah. So the shoulder has been interesting. So like having, uh, I was pretty much just programming for myself, um, since I got hurt, because that's when I just kind of took a break. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to work with a coach anymore. I'm going to just take this break and just focus on my business. And then as I got back into it, the pandemic happened. And I was like, okay, I, um, I have a good like knowledge and years of, of programming. So let me just like go back and figure out what I need to do. And so I was starting to work on stuff and starting to do different things. Um, And then, yeah, I started working with, with you guys and doing the NC fit program, which has been amazing because now I feel like I have more of a community, more accountability, and I have so many different programs, right? Like there's like four different tracks right now on the app. And so if I find one and I'm like, okay, all these movements are like just not movements I can do with my shoulder. Let me go somewhere else. And then I might find a workout that has like just one movement. I have to switch. Maybe it's a push press and I do a one arm dumbbell push press. And I'm like, perfect. This is a great workout that I can do today. So I look ahead at the whole week and kind of try to plan things in. We also have an outdoor gym space right now, which obviously we're gonna have to take apart when the snow comes. Um, So for me, it's also weather planning. I'm like, okay, on the good days, I go really hard on, on doing a lot of the NC fit workouts outside. And then I might save like an NC go one for like a day. It's raining kind of like today is pretty dreary. And I'll do something like that on those days. Um, Then I run three times a week right now. I'm doing three track sessions a week, aerobic capacity. Um, workouts trying to really improve my running because like you said back ed- before you know i had strength and different things coming from snowboarding and hockey but i've always been like a sprint recover athlete like a very powerful uh like anything with my lifts have been good um but then anything with long endurance aerobic capacity type stuff has just not not been my wheelhouse whatsoever so i'm trying to really go hard on that and then also just doing a little bit more uh, accessory work as well just for little things i had like a little knee issue in the spring and so i'm doing some, um, just thing, accessory work for my knees. And then I do about an hour of shoulder rehab a day, which takes, takes a long time, but I'm working with, um, like a sports science center here, uh, with my physio and stuff. And they're helping me with my, uh, with my shoulder recovery as well. So trying to progress that, trying to, you know, stay conditioned and fit and, and still get, you know, a touch of all the CrossFit movements with NC fit, and then really trying to attack my aerobic capacity as well.
0: Nice. Nice. And then, so when do you, when does snowboarding season start for you pretty soon, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I guess what was it now? End of September. Uh, it, it'll probably start snowing maybe end of November. And like, I'm really lucky where we moved to in January is right near all the, the local ski hills. Again, they're not big at all, but it's super close. And so like the minute snow hits the ground, I'm sure I'll even just get my cross country skis out and try to hit over the pavement and uh, go on the parkways and different things like that. But yeah, probably. And well, I would say the ski hills open probably started December.
0: Love it, and so from a business perspective, I, I really thought you had some insightful. I, I thought you had some really good insight for people on that in particular. So you've been able to do that on your own, though. So you curate the content, edit the content, publish the content. Um, that seems daunting. It seems hard. Um, yes. <laughs> what tips or feedback would you provide someone who needs to do the same thing? What what Cause what are you using? Are you using your iPhone or what, what, what kind of, what are you doing?
1: Yeah. So I use a mix of different things. And um, I was actually talking to MDV the other day about it, about filming. Cause I know he likes to film those videos in his garage. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I film a ton of stuff, you know, outside in the driveway, but it's going to be weird when we put that gym away and I go back to a normal gym. I'm like, Ooh, it's going to be interesting. Like, you know, filming around people and doing different things. But I'll do a mix. So sometimes I'll do like little vlogs with my iPhone. Um, and those are super quick to edit. Most of the videos I post when it comes to like TikTok or Instagram, it's all edited on my phone. So it's pretty easy. I use like InShot as an editor that I love to use. InShot. Yeah, that's a, it's a good one. It's like, I, I think it might be free or maybe it's like $12 a year or something pretty easy. Um, but even I'll do that, even with stuff that I film on my actual camera. So sometimes I like to make like different videos using my actual camera and I find it easier because I use my phone as a timer often in my workouts or music. Um, and so I just set up on my tripod, my other camera, and maybe during my warm up or after the workout, I'll just film the different movements that happened in the workout. Um, usually the warmup, since I'm already doing the movements already, I might as well just like film it then it's pretty hard to just actually film your workout because if you're doing like a 20 minute AMRAP and you, you're going to have like so much filming, that it's just not worth it to comb through or to just log up your, clog up your whole, uh, your, your iPhone or your, um, your computer. So yeah, I'll film like a up or something. And that could be a good tip for anyone who's a CrossFit athlete and trying to figure out when do I actually film my stuff. And that can be then, or maybe doing a lift, although with my shoulder, I haven't been doing many lifts. So it's more just workouts. Um, and then, yeah, I'll just put it onto my computer, put it then onto my phone and just kind of like cut it up. And now things move pretty quickly. And I'll usually give myself some time, like Okay, after my workout, once I've eaten, then I have like half an hour to like put some things together.
0: And that's typically how long it'll take. So if you, let's just say you work out for an hour, hour and a half, whatever you think realistically, once you get more proficient with this in shot is what it's called. You could probably edit that in about 30, 45 minutes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Maybe even quicker. It depends if I already had an idea in mind. Like sometimes I like to make videos that focus on like mindset or mental health or something about body image. And usually that idea will come to me maybe, maybe a week in advance. Like if I have an idea, I just write it down in the notes app on my phone and I'm like, okay, like sometime in the future, I want to create something about this. And like, maybe it's a quote that I had in mind, or maybe it's like, I had kind of a whole paragraph of things I wanted to say about body image. And instead of like putting it as a caption, I wanted to make it into a Reels video or a TikTok video. And then I'll just film stuff and then like, clip it together. But also sometimes, like with TikTok and Reels, there's different trends that happen. And I just have, I just try to film like almost everything that I do workout wise. So I can go back and just use some of that footage to make something like later on. And so um, for me, that's been really easy because I don't really have to film something specific. Like whenever I talk about body image or mental health or mindset, it all just comes through with fitness videos. And then I just layer on the message with that and with the audio and everything. So usually I have an idea in advance and then I just kind of film something or I have footage in advance. And when an idea comes, I can mix it up pretty quickly.
0: And so from a body image perspective, what's like your kind of leading concept there? I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts on that particular, because I imagine coming from hockey and then snowboarding and now in CrossFit, um, I mean, they, they require, do they require slightly different body type? I mean, what, what has that process been like?
1: Yeah, I would say like hockey players are usually bigger. And so one of the issues I actually had as a kid, cause I would consider myself like a bigger athlete now, but Back in the day, I was the smallest kid. Like I went through a growth spurt where I went through four pairs of hockey pants in one season. And then I stopped growing after that. So I had like one year where I just grew like crazy, but I think not till I was 15. So when I played hockey, I actually always got told I was too small. Um, And that was a big thing for me. So that actually was like really what made me train was I was like, oh, I need to be really strong. If I'm small, I got to be strong. Um, but most hockey players I would say are usually, usually you're like fairly bigger cause you've got to be strong, right? You've got to have like the big quads and, you know, powerful, just a result of the sport. And then snowboarding, I would say I was probably the strongest snowboarder. Like, I think it's safe to say that cause no, not many people were like training as hard as I was in the gym or wanting to, to train so hard in the gym because it didn't really, it, obviously, for injury prevention, it mattered, and for me, I felt like more confident and stronger and more powerful as an athlete off the jumps, being stronger. But most people didn't realize that until they like tore their ACL. Then they realized they need to start doing squats and building up this weight. Um, but there's also like because of snowboarding, there's a gymnastics element. So when you see like a lot of the male snowboarders, most of them like CrossFit athletes are like fairly shorter. Uh, most of them are like like pretty skinny. And so I would say, because you want to have like at least enough body weight to like get through the, the course and not be able to you know make up the speed of the jumps you want to, but then you want to be light enough to do the tricks and like fly through the air and like spin around. So yeah, definitely like hockey was a bigger body type, snowboarding a little bit less and then going into CrossFit, I just kind of already knew like I was a stronger athlete. And so I've been always just working on my conditioning and things like that to, to work on that, that perspective, but body image has been. Um, definitely like a huge thing. And I know it's a huge thing for a lot of young girls. Like I grew up kind of just naturally muscular, even though I was really small and I would get like comments about it in the girls changing room, for example, or like people would always say, Oh, like you look like a guy because you have abs or you have, um, you know, strong shoulders or one summer I went wakeboarding all summer and I came back to school and people were like, what did you do? Like, did you just do bicep curls all summer? I'm like, no, I just wakeboarded, but naturally my muscles and my arms just got really defined. And that was like a lot of, I took a lot of heat for that. So for me, it's, you know, putting out the message that it's okay to be any size of athlete. Like there's no one size that makes an athlete. Even if you look at CrossFit, there's like the shorter athletes, there's taller athletes, there's skinnier athletes, there's bigger athletes, but we all compete in the same sport and we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And then same thing with, uh, you know, kind of normalizing the more muscular body type is because that's something I get looks when I walk places. I get asked about it since I was a kid. And that was something that really affected me when I was younger. And that's a lot of the motivation behind the videos I make is like, this is something that affected me in the past, you know, met- or, and currently, but mental health, body image, all these things. And I try to make that, you know, for the younger generation, because I was like, I wish that I had seen this. Yeah. So I try to create the content that I wish I would have seen.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think CrossFit, Crossfit's done a lot of good for a lot of people. But I think for women in particular, and this is just my opinion as, as a guy looking from the outside, is, you know, there is this body image where you need to be like this skinny, petite female. And I think CrossFit came in and said, hey, like let's look for function over look. Let's look for performance over look. And however you look is the way you look as long as you're performing well. And I think in general, the women are a little bit, you know, probably more muscular than your traditional woman that you see on the street. And, and I think that they've, at least in my opinion, made it okay, made it good, made it made it healthy. And um, like people like yourself and others who go out there and share this message that being a muscular, for lack of a better term, right? Being a more muscular woman is not a bad thing. I think that's really important. I mean, again, I'm not a girl. I've never gone through that in my life, but I see it with my daughter. you know my daughter's 10, and she's built a little bit more a little bit stronger. And she's not this super, super skinny. Um, and that's difficult for, her. I do think nowadays it's a little bit more common. People are a little bit more considerate, but I can only imagine what girls went through 10, 20 years ago. And I imagine it's still going to be a challenge, right? Cause you feel like you need to fit in this box. But I think like what you're talking about showing people that you don't need to fit in just this little box, right? You could be healthy and still be a little bit more muscular. That's not a bad thing.
1: Yeah. Well, I I mean, a great example is I got a message uh, a few months ago from a girl who follows me on TikTok, and I think she's maybe 14 or 15, and she plays hockey and like a very high level for, for where she lives uh, of women's hockey. And she was asking me about exercises and different things. And then she was telling me that her parents told her not to, to do that level of strength training because it would make her too bulky. Yeah, and I said, bulky. you're trying to compete at the highest level in hockey. And yet even her own family has that stereotype. And that really makes me upset because for example, like in the sport of CrossFit or any sport, you know, you're not really trying to achieve some certain aesthetic goal, the the goal is performance. And then the body type is a result of that. And it just really bums me out that a lot of girls aren't, um, they have a love for sport, but they're scared to get in the gym and train because of the thoughts of their peers at school. And then even maybe their families.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a difficult one. I mean, you, you brought this up. And I think it's an interesting note. Um, I was talking to Kelly Starrett the other day. Uh, he's a physical therapist and we were talking about how children need a combination of both sport, which is super important, of course, social interaction, et cetera, but also some form of formal training, like just basic squatting, basic, like basic stuff, right? Like prioritize the sport, but also start incorporating some basic movements. So they have the ability as they get older to have this framework and foundation so that they don't, they can avoid more injuries and whatnot. I thought it's interesting that you talk about when you were snowboarding and you were younger, how you incorporated some more traditional gym stuff where a lot of people didn't. I'm wondering where that trend's going to go in the future because you're seeing functional training become more and more popular. And I hope that we see more of a carryover into youth sports because I think you'll start to see uh, a reduction in injury because of it. Um, that's just my hypothesis. I don't have anything to go off of that, but I think that's the truth because kids will learn how to move more effectively and develop strength around the primary joints at a younger age, which will then transfer over into sport really well, I think.
1: I I totally believe you. Like I saw so many of my teammates tear their ACLs at like 17 years old, 18 years old, 19 years old, and then re-tear them. And it wasn't until like they've torn them once or twice that they're like, oh, I need to like start squatting and like taking this gym stuff seriously. And I was like, imagine where your career might be if you just had avoided those injuries and like you had just started training early. Right. Um, And I I think I, I really owe that to my parents because like pushing me into the gym really didn't come, necessarily for me at the start, it came like when I got onto the junior national team, my parents were like, you have to start training because we're worried that you could get injured. I was always Mm. skinny and lean. And so they said, like, we need you to start training so that like, you don't blow your ACL. You don't have these injuries. And especially I didn't have as many of the financial resources as like some of my competitors. And so it's like, where's my leg up? Well, that's going to the gym. That's making sure I stay healthy and doing these things. And like, I owe a lot to them for finding me a strength and conditioning coach back in that day and getting me into that at a young age.
0: Yeah. And so like you train your grandma once a day, which I think is awesome. She's, you know, she's, what is she in her 60s, 70s? 84 84 oh my god oh that's right 84 and uh, i'm thinking my parent never mind i'm thinking my parents (laughs) age and then you have see every you're training your grandma you're you're exposed to a bunch of people online and they're 14 15 etc so you have a wide variety um for someone you know uh, this is kind of a random topic but i mean if someone's interested in you know from a well-rounded fitness perspective you've worked with 80 year olds you're talking to young kids what advice uh Do you provide essentially these young kids who who want to get into just physical activity? I mean, what's the first step? I mean, obviously walking, but getting off their phones, probably.
1: (laughs) My grandma does tons of walking, especially. um, Well, we have a language barrier like she only speaks Spanish and I am like, I know Spanish, but I'm not completely fluent. And so that's interesting over Zoom, because if she misunderstands a workout and her exercise and she's not doing it properly, I can't necessarily correct her. And so we stick to the foundations, like really basic movements, like squatting to the couch, which is just below parallel and standing up, um, doing like some banded stuff because she spends a lot of time hunched over doing some art and stuff. Um, She does a ton of walking where she kind of like walks, jogs across the living room back and forth. Um, just, and then she also, she knows how to do cleans, these little, uh, dumbbells and kind of deadlifts too. And she can do those stuff. So basic movements. And that's the same thing I would say for kids. Like if I could go back, it would just, it would be hammer home the basic movements, like the foundations, like learn how to squat, learn how to press, learn how to move your body in different ways, even including some rotational ways, but just the basic foundations of movement, even with like little to no weight, I think it's just so important because then you have that movement quality and also that body awareness. Cause it's, it's hard, especially like when kids go through puberty with the body awareness. I remember when I, my brother's three years younger than me. And when I was like 17, 18, I took him to the gym and he had just gone through a growth spurt and it was watching him squat yeah. was like, a yeah, it's like watching giraffe. like a
0: baby giraffe. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. So I would say like just learning those foundations that will, that will help you a lot because then when you do want to get into heavier strength training, or you want to get into different sports that require that movement, you can adapt, right. And you can build off that.
0: I love it. Well, if you're an athlete out there, and you know, if someone's looking to, you know, engage more with you, obviously, I'm on your website right now. Uh, Natalie, it's natalieallport.com, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, where, where else can people find you? Or if they're an athlete, they want to get some type of consulting, they can go to your website, I imagine, or they can find you online on what Instagram and, and, and uh, TikTok.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, that's where I'm most active. Trying to create more on, on YouTube actually right now. I'm trying to put out like a once-a-week kind of vlog and different things and make some different challenge videos. But um, yeah, at Natalie Allport basically on every platform. And then there's there's links to like my business Instagram and different things from there. So uh, I think that's probably the best main place.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of value in, in YouTube. I think. I think it's because you have this longer format content where you really dive into specific subjects. It's definitely something that I'm, I'm excited about because I think you can really add a lot of value for people. So um, mm-hmm. well, I look forward to seeing more of your content. You know, we really appreciate you, um, you know, utilizing our programs, getting after it. I think you do an incredible job online of inspiring people. And um, but the business side, I think what you talked about with that branding perspective was really, really cool. So it's cool. I uh, really appreciate you. And I hope you have a great day.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great to connect.